Have you ever had that friend? Or before they were a friend, you saw this person and you're like, man, that is such a really cool person. I want to know them, but they would be too cool for me. They would be, they'd be out of my friend league. Me either. I haven't ever had that happen. JK. That's what happened to me with Shane Key. He's a great musician. He can lead a crowd with his voice and his guitar and his passion. And what's better than any of that is he knows how to lead his family. He's a dad, a husband, a man who is passionate. I was excited to talk with him for this episode. Also, at the end, we got a little surprise. This is my friend Shane on The Friends We Meet. I know a few that I've written. There's a couple that I'm just I just throw them out real fast, and then I'm like, how does that song go? And I have to go back to a voice memo of when I wrote it to like remind myself what it sounded like. Are we rolling? Yeah, but uh, sweet. I got a question or two for you. You've been playing guitar for decades. Mm, literally about three decades. We're in this uh, room full of Beatles memorabilia, um, license plates, John Coltrane stuff, um, drums everywhere, CDs, tapes. A lot of deal. junk. Well, I come in here and I'm like, man, this is like a, like a shrine to... <laughs> no, I think it's like a shrine to somebody who is working hard at doing music stuff. And, uh, and so I find that I am uh, inspired when I come in here. So tell me... Tell me what it is that gets you, what, what is it that makes you excited? Well, I'm passionate about a few things. Um, I love getting out in the woods as much as I can, which is not very often. I'm a big mountain biker, and when I get ready to go on a ride, that's one of the most like exciting times because it's a respite from real life. You kind of get out there all by yourself. You're just just kind of seeing how far you can push yourself um, with obstacles and things. And, you know, with Strava and apps like that, that track like your progress, you can see how you measure up to other people. And I'm not a very team sports kind of person, but it's fun to be competitive in little ways like that, especially against yourself. Um, That's not music related, but (laughs) my bikes are in here. So... It's one of the things that I really, really love to do. My family is number one in my life. And so spending time with my family in intentional quality ways is really important to us. And like everybody, it's a struggle to make the time to get that in the calendar and make those memories. And But um, those are the highlights of life, you know, when you can take a trip and say, wow, remember when we went to Colorado last summer? You know, the kids rode on a plane for the first time and just things like that. Um, With music, I get excited when there's a date coming up and I've got like maybe a few guys playing with me in the case of playing uh, with my little band. Um, But uh, this past Saturday night, I got to play at a new restaurant and I was a little bit nervous about it because the room is so small and the the sound in there is really la- live and loud 
and it was it was it was loud and rowdy in there but um as soon as I started playing it was like a a shift in the atmosphere I could tell people were watching kind of sizing me up seeing if I you know met their standards of what good music was or whatever and uh it being National Margarita Day I decided to throw out Margaritaville first time first song you know so that people could latch on to something and and sing along but I mixed it up I played it with a reggae beat so it would be a little bit different than the one you always hear so you know I like to throw myself little challenges like that so playing at a new place that's exciting because you never know what's going to happen I'm always I, I'm a kind of an optimist when it comes to things off I figure well things will work out you know 99% of my mental space is things will work out but sometimes they don't but most of the time they do and um I'm not really nervous to play music in front of people. Sometimes it feels like it's not going so well, and then you hear feedback from somebody that says, man, that was so great. We were hanging on every note and every word, and I feel like saying, really? Because it was so depressing today, or whatever. Like, gigs can go up and down, and you never really know what people are thinking unless they're shouting it at you. <laughs> Sometimes that happens too. But uh, the things that really get me amped up, and excited are loving my family, number one, hopefully getting better at doing that every day and doing my job well and making people happy. The tension between artists making a living and artists doing something else or whatever to earn income so that they could do creative stuff. Mm. So so play you're you've you've carved out this space that you have a, a job doing the things that yeah, you have a job doing music. Yeah. People say like, they see like how much I'm playing places and I'm busy, you know, but, um, they'll joke around with me like, you're working so hard. And I'm like, not really. I'm hardly working because the saying is true. If you find something that you love to do and you get paid for it, you never work a day in your life. And so I feel really blessed that I'm at this point in my life where, um, playing music and teaching lessons to students is all I do. And so, um, and my wife doesn't work. She stays home with our kids and it's an incredible place to live, but it's also fraught with uncertainty. And I don't know how anybody lives without faith in any vocation, but especially when you're self-employed, especially when you're relying on people to call you or text you and book stuff and you you don't know from month to month what your income's going to be. It's harrowing at times to pay off bills and not get in too much debt and you know everybody deals with these things. But it is um it's almost like when I get to go out and do a gig it it's like a break from real real life. It's not my real job or whatever. I don't consider it a job even though it is what I do for money. It's a job is something like delivering pizzas, which you have to do or suffer through, you know. And what I get to do is not suffering at all. There's complete joy in entertaining people and making people happy. I love it when I, I play a cover of a song that I really enjoy. Not really sure if many people catch it, you know, or recognize it. And they're like, that was the best version of that song I've ever heard, which 
I'm not sure if I should believe that or not, because it could be like a Led Zeppelin song. How can you be so sacrilegious and say <laughs> Shane Key's cover of a Led Zeppelin song is better? Uh, it's ridiculous. Like, that's not true. So <laughs> you might as well cut that out. But um, That's people, so quotable. But people have, people have said stuff like that, and that makes... It's such a compliment. Like, I, I take it seriously, but I try not to let anything be... Um, what I live off of, like people's praise or people's criticisms can either inflate your head to the point where you think you're something that you're not or can cut you down to the point where you think you're something that you're not. Have you had problems with that? Oh, yeah. Like up and down? Oh, yeah. Um, when I first started, I'll just give you a little backstory. I graduated from college with a double major in music and business, and I didn't even know what I wanted to do in high school. But I had a really good guidance counselor who um, had went to uh, Pfeiffer University. It was a, just a college at that point. And she said, they have a really small, nice little music program I think you might fit. So I went and did an audition, got in, got a little bit of scholarship. But I was not a trained musician at that point. I played the drums, and I was a percussion major in school. Um, but throughout my time there, I realized that I could add on another major and so I figured I better get smart at business if I'm going to do music for a living and the business part of my schooling had nothing to do with music but it did get me through some challenges as a student to help me deal with what was coming later in life and when I graduated with those two degrees I immediately went to a music store in Asheboro and asked if I could uh, start teaching the drums and the gentleman there said, well, we have a drum teacher, but do you play guitar? And I said, yeah. And he said, play me a little something. And so I play a little. And he said, oh, you can start Friday. We'll get you some students lined up. You know. And so that became my first real job was teaching music lessons to private students at a music store in Asheboro. And um, I was living in, uh, I just graduated from college, so I was still living at home with my folks who were in Sofia, North Carolina. So short drive to Asheboro, got started um, teaching, and um, I was dating my my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife of almost 20 years. And so it was, even then it was like an issue. Like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna get a real job? Are you gonna keep doing lessons? Like, And so this there was a, a tension in my life for, I'd say 20 years of how are you going to make a living doing this? Because no matter how many lessons you teach, there's always a max. And if you try to charge more money, then you'll probably lose some students. So it's kind of like this balancing act, working out like how much to charge and how many lessons you can get, how to get more lessons. But uh, it was it was a real struggle for a long time. So we're going to take a break for just a second. We have incredible sponsors. This podcast would not be possible without the following. The Flywheel Press, designing and printing luxury stationery so you can make lasting connections with others. Visit the Flywheel NC on Instagram or their website, theflywheelnc.com. Esser CPA. They deliver high-quality accounting, tax, HR, and operations support to individuals, small businesses, and not-for-profits. Go to essercpa.com, E-S-S-E-R-C-P-A.com. 
The Budding Artichoke, a local artisan food market focused on sustainable foods and health products. You can find them on any social media. And a special gift sponsorship from an anonymous donor has asked you to check out Growing High Point. This is a nonprofit organization with a mission to create a dynamic and vibrant city by providing access and agricultural opportunities to High Point, North Carolina residents. Check them out. Growing High Point. If this podcast adds value to your life, I would appreciate your support at any level. Join this group of people who makes this happen. Go to patreon.com slash the friends we meet. That's patreon.com slash the friends we meet. sort of learned how to play in front of people better than I had and cut my teeth uh, in the coffee houses. And all of a sudden, in I think it was around 2013, 2012, 2013, after struggling for years and years and years financially, not really making ends meet, just barely scraping by and not really having any extra to do anything fun or meaningful, felt like. My wife and I got serious about adoption. Um, it had been a dream of hers for years, ever since she was a little girl, to adopt. And we have one beautiful uh, biological daughter, Julia, who's 16 now. And at the time, she was eight, nine years old. And um, my wife just was in such sorrow, like not having more kids. Like, Julia's amazing. There's nothing like to say like she wasn't enough or anything like that she was but when you want more children there's just and you know you're called to adopt it's like a burning desire a passion that she had and it just took me forever to get on board and to get serious about it but that year 2012 we got serious started the training um at the same time i took this uh promise from the old testament in the bible that um, it's almost like God daring you to do something uh, where he asks the children of Israel to bring a tenth of their income to the temple and give it to the Lord and so that so the priests and the people that are there can do their jobs. And it was a, a promise that God gave to say, like, see what I'll do. If you do this, like, I will bless you beyond belief. If you don't do this... You're, what you do is under a curse. And it's kind of like, oh, that's bad. Like, don't talk about curses or whatever. But the truth was, I was living under a curse for so long because I was not being very diligent with how much money I was making and um, tithing on it. And you can hear a bunch of, bunch of preachers asking for your money, but this is not what that was about. In fact, the church I was going to was uh, really um, a painful situation at the time. But... I just took God at his word and started doing it. I thought, what do I have to lose? <laughs> and lo and behold, through the combination of um, getting in line with my wife's passion to adopt and getting in line with God's promise to tithe and just see what he will do, I was literally like out in the woods riding my bike, which is like the one thing that I 
could do to get away from the stress of life. And I ran into this lady who was walking her dog and she is like asking me about my bike and like, what do I do for a living? And I said, I'm a musician. And she said, well, you should go up to this and such place and tell them that I sent you and I think they'll hire you. And I was like, why would, you've never even heard me play. And she was just like, I've got a feeling. And from that, I kid you not, like I go back to this moment in my mind and just, it's in wonder, like that this chance meeting got me this gig at this place here in High Point that a bunch of wealthy people come and drink wine. And um, this is like 2013. So in 2014, I start playing there and uh, it was like every Friday night for a while. And little by little, like people started asking me to play for their engagement parties and their wedding receptions and private corporate events and stuff. And it just went through the roof from that moment. My career just exploded. And I really don't have, um, it's not like I'm anything special. Like there's a whole bunch of musicians in High Point that are incredibly talented, better musicians than me, like jazz musicians that are world-class. They play the guitar and I just, my jaw drops when I watch them play and um, singer-songwriters that are much more creative in their output with original stuff. Because I'm a cover band, basically. I just sing songs that other people have written and entertain people. But through all this, it's become this source of income that I never dreamed of. Like, it, it doesn't make sense, really, to be a full-time musician in High Point, North Carolina. But here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's incredible. And I get to um, play with my lifelong friend, Jamie Shaver, so much. And uh, another good friend, Brent Bennett, who plays drums with me. And we just, we're always gigging and playing right here in town, um, mostly private stuff. But when you see me out in a restaurant or something, like, that's my job. Like, it's what I do for a living. It's really cool. Tell me about adoption. Adoption is the most fun roller coaster ride you will ever get on. It's um, we did foster to adopt through the DSS here in Guilford County. Um, the agency that we went through was uh, Children's Home Society of North Carolina. They provided the training. Um, you go through uh, what are called MAP classes that give you the tools that you'll need to deal with kids that are in the foster care system, which are great needs and uh, difficult situations for a lot of them. Um, we really didn't want to foster, but we felt like the kids right here in our hometown that need families were the ones we were called to. So that's the route we took instead of going overseas or, you know, doing some kind of adoption agency. We just thought, hey, fostering seems like uh, a more affordable alternative. It's, it was just the right thing for us. But when you get licensed, they immediately start calling you with foster placements and you don't know how that's gonna end up. You, you just don't, the birth families could get their stuff together and the child that you've fostered and b become attached to might go back to their birth family and that would be a really beautiful thing but it'd be really painful 
for for us, you know. So that's kind of our hesitation in um, in doing like just straight up fostering. We wanted to foster to adopt, and so the problem with that is when they call you with these foster placements, you just don't know how it's going to end up. So you have to step out onto the invisible rocks across the chasm, like in you know. Indiana Jones <laughs> and just hope that there's something that's going to catch you. And, um, we'd always wanted a little boy. And, uh, so they called us and they said, there were two baby boys born this weekend. Are you able to take one of them? And we were just like, well, um, what are the chances that we'll get to adopt them? And they were, they of course said, we, we don't know. We can't tell you. Um, and I said, well, can we have a, a little time to think about it and they said well sure call us back in 30 minutes so this moment you have to make this decision that's going to affect the rest of your life in the matter of minutes and so we hung up the phone and we just looked at each other and i just felt this peace like god was saying you're ready for this i've prepared you we've gone through these classes um it's time to dive in head first and see how you swim and we called him back. We said, bring him on to our house. And that little boy is now my son. And uh, I love him more than anything. I mean, there, he's challenging for sure, like any kid is. But, it, you know, people think about adoption. If you've never really been around it, if you don't have people that are adopted in your family, if you're not really familiar with adoption as a way of life, <laughs> It can feel a little bit foreign or like, why would you do that? And um, I even struggle with those questions and those attitudes from the beginning. Um, but little by little, you just feel like you're being stretched, like, and you get more flexible, like, well, what if the little, what if the, the child that they give us is not a baby? Because we wanted a baby. Everybody wants a baby. Well, how old could we possibly, what would we consider? Like, well, we want our biological daughter Julia to remain the eldest because that's just what we feel is right so we had to make our cut off at eight years old at that time and well what if we what if they have a, what if siblings like a whole group of kids could we take more than one so we figure we could probably get bunk beds and let siblings share a room and so that was the next stretch and then it's like the whole issue of race comes up like what if they're not white what if they're african-american or hispanic or what so you just kind of have to deal with these mental and and like emotional barriers to getting an, a child through that system like you can't really pick and choose but the truth is like even if you have biological kids you don't know how that child is going to turn mm -hmm. out you don't know if they're going to be healthy or not you're just kind of rolling the dice with that too it's mm -hmm. just happens to be coming from your loins, your, your own body. Um, but that's the only difference. Because once the kids come to you, once Locke was brought into our house and we held him for the first time, this magic happens. And that child might as well have been born from our union as just as much as Julia. And then, so he came to our house um, four days old. And we were just blown away that we were able to get a baby. Um, four months later, they called us again because we had gotten licensed for two kids in hopes that maybe a sibling group would come to us, which 
that didn't happen, but we got a second call four months after we got Locke. This is in 2013. A little girl needed a home, just over a year old. And so we said, yes. And they brought her to our house, and she was crying, and she had been through a lot and at just one year old. And so she sat down and finally got her to settle down, and my wife had gotten her a little gift from Build-A-Bear. It's a little bunny, a stuffed bunny. And at one year old, she pointed at that little stuffed animal and said, my bunny? Like, is that mine? And we were like, whoa, she talks. <laughs> and it, it was just like our hearts melted, and she became part of our family. And through that first year and a half, when we really weren't sure if they were going to be ours forever or not. Man, it was tough. Um, we had agency representatives in our house every week for two years, like sometimes twice a week. And um, it kept our house really clean because we were under scrutiny. <laughs> and uh, they really do their due diligence to make sure these kids are in good homes because of the situations they've come out of. But we, uh, we were able to finally adopt them officially uh, about a year after their placement with us. And it's been a heck of a ride ever since, just raising them and loving them. They're part of the family. I, I have a tattoo on my left arm. My last name is Key, and so um, I designed this tattoo, which you can't see on the radio podcast, but um, it's a keychain that has five keys on it, one for each member of my family. And the the little head of the key that, like, unlocks the door is our initial stylized into the head of the key and so it's just a picture on my flesh of like how God took two people and made a family out of all this chaos and disorder and it's just a beautiful picture of what God can do uh, making beauty out of our mess so and and yeah and it I really have not much to do with the whole thing like I just kind of got on board with my wife's passion and desire to do it. And I have been blessed in return. So tell me about what you're going to play us. So, um, I like to give gifts and I want to make my wife happy, even though I struggle from time to time at those two goals, meeting those goals. But my wife was getting ready to hit a milestone birthday. I won't tell you which one. Um, And I really wanted to do something special. And I'd bought her earrings about 300 times for different occasions. She really likes earrings. And I was just like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give her something material this year. I'm going to do something from my heart that only I can give her. Like nobody, anybody could go to the store and get her earrings. Um, The one thing I can do is write a song that would speak to her heart and be a sort of a test testament to our relationship my love for her and when we were just married we were um sitting in my car that had a sunroof and we were it was dark and the moonroof sunroof was open i call it the moonroof because that's what we were looking at it's this giant full moon up in the top of the sky and becca was looking up at the moon and we were in this um, we were doing a uh, a summer camp for creative people to like get in touch with their God given t- 
talents and creative juices. And so we were out in the, our car just kind of listening to the Lord to see what he would say to us. And she looked up at the sky and saw the moon. And uh, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me telling this story. She felt like the Lord said to her, even if you were the only person I ever created, I would still have made the moon just for you. And she just broke. Like, what kind of God do we serve that could say something like that and make something so incredibly vast and enormous like the moon um so personal like that just is the story of our faith um this this personal relationship to god is what gets us through life like you can say it's a crutch whatever you want to say but there's nobody that can tell me my God's not real and that he hasn't spoken to me and done things in my life, changed my heart for the better. Um, so the moon is that symbol of God's personal love to my wife. And as we drive home day after day in the, at, in, in the evening, it always seems like the moon is hanging like right over our street. And so she would say, Tons of times as we pull onto our street and we see the moon hanging there. She's like, look, see, God loves me so much. The moon lives on my street. And it just stuck in my head like, wow, that is a really cool thing to say. It's like her saying, if, in, if Becca had a saying, it's the moon lives on my street. And that's a sign that God loves me. And so um, I took that phrase that she said and the sentiment behind it, did a little research on the moon and was just blown away by how um, like the tides and women's menstrual cycles and like all this stuff is so interconnected. You cannot explain that to me. Like <laughs> I just know that there's supernatural stuff going on with this. And so um, I took how similar the moon is to women because um, Luna and moon, it's all a, the this woman of the sky is the name of the moon. And um, I think it's a great travesty that we call the face that we see in the moon, the man in the moon. I think it should be the woman in the moon because there's nothing about men <laughs> uh, in the uh, mythology of the moon. So that's where the song came from. And it's kind of like when you look at the moon, you think about um, all the, the things that it does and it represents, including women and one woman in particular, my wife. So I'll play it now. It's called The Moon Lives on My Street. When I'm driving home in the evening I can feel your gaze following me Sometimes I turn a corner and I see you you steal my breath with your beauty I see your scars, but to me you're perfect Constantly changing, forever the same If you have a dark side, I've never seen it 
the sky, I love your name. And when I cannot see you, I know that you're still there. Through a million miles, you're coming around to pierce me with that stare. And when you feel so far away, and I am incomplete, I just remind myself the moon lives on my street. Pink, white, yellow, red or blue Every season lends a different hue Ringed with halo, shrouded behind the clouds How you'll appear, the fortune teller can't tell now When I see you shining bright against the blue sky Glowing behind the gossamer in the dark It's comforting to feel your pull upon the ocean The way you're always tugging at my heart And when I cannot see you I know that you're still there Through a million miles you're coming around To pierce me with that stare when I feel so far away and I am incomplete I just remind myself the moon lives on my street I just remind myself the moon lives on my street That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> it's my proudest moment of songwriting for sure. Um, very influenced by the uh, musical style of this band, band Dawes from California. This guy, Taylor Goldsmith, writes these songs that are like little mini movies that tell stories and just take you places like I haven't heard many musicians take me. Um, there's a reason why people are drawn to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and... Um, the Allman Brothers, even, like the big bands in my life, because as a young, impressionable teenager, those songs, that music, was like magic. It just immediately grabbed me. And um, this guy, Taylor, he, he's making music right now, and it sounds like it's music from the 70s, and, you know, it's good old rock and roll with a little bit of folky... Um, twinge added in but the lyrics just are so rich with meaning and um it was like the first time I saw them play it was almost like I imagined what it must have been like to see Eric Clapton with Dwayne Allman recording that album Layla back in the early 70s and what a head trip that must have been for the people in that room witnessing that greatness and that's what I felt like. I was at the Durham Performing Arts Center watching Dawes, and I was just 
in tears uh, watching these guys um, because it was so good. And that's my goal as a musician, as an artist, is no matter if I'm playing Margaritaville for the hundredth time or if I'm writing a song and playing it for people, I want to take some, I want to take people somewhere. Um, I want to help them feel something that maybe they haven't felt since they were a kid or just make them laugh. Like I wrote a song about coffee that I, that I like and it's, I drink coffee all the time. So why not take the things in your life and turn them into little pieces of art for people to enjoy, hopefully. So. <clears throat> Would you share this coffee song? You know the uh, words? No, <laughs> I do not know the words to that one. Um, Shane Key, thank you. Thank you, Evan Blackerby. <laughs> so after our recording that part of the episode with Shane, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we invited Shane's daughter, Julia, in to share a song that she had written? Uh, Shane didn't know about this, and so this is uh, the first time he's hearing it right alongside you guys, so I thought that was pretty cool. Surprise! Here's Julia. So speak, I'm speaking, is it picking up good? I'm Julia. Do you want to say anything about this song, what this song's about? Well, it's not about a specific person. I mean, I'm big on writing imaginary songs, like, that are kind of melancholy and, like, about older people, I feel yeah. like. Like, how older people see the world, and so, yeah, this is, yeah. Like, older people, like, 90-year-olds? Or well, like not quite that you. old. Like, grandparent age. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's a really, like, bittersweet time, and I think that there's a lot to be said about, like, how older people view the world and, like, loved ones and stuff. You were a friend, friend of mine, and I knew from the way that you looked I wanted you to waste my time. You had the softest glow in your eye And I knew in my heart that you would help me to get by So let's dance like no one's watching Take the records off the shelf It's just you and I, darling We don't need nobody else I got your back of your heart show me what builds you up and what tears you apart we'll talk for hours and hours and watch as the rain helps grow the flowers and we'll dance like no one's watching take the records off the shelf it's just you and our darling, we don't need nobody else I got your back and I know that you got mine So we'll make this moment last cause all we have is time And that's it <laughs>
That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. That was really good. You did it flawless too. Thanks. <laughs> you like practice? No, no. Nah, I just I like to sing a lot, so I just kind of once I have written it, it's just kind of in my mind. You have like a real talent. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and you're in a really talented family. Yeah. And uh, do you share your songs a lot? It just depends. <laughs> like, do you share them with the people who are closest to you? Yes. Okay. Yes. You really do. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes people share them like on, you know, like on Instagram or whatever, but... Well, I post some of them, but the ones like that I write recently, I'll just show my family and then keep let it simmer for a little bit. <laughs> I'll like perfect it and then like, yeah, then I'll show other people. But like, I just like some songs I just write and I'm just like, well, this will be ready one day <laughs> or like it'll the right time for this to be shown will come along. <laughs> so what was that song about? I think it was like raining and I was just like, oh, I'm thinking about like an old couple dancing in the kitchen and they're like, oh, let's get the old records out. <laughs> they just start dancing. And I just love thinking about that stuff. <laughs> it just makes me happy. Thank you so much for sharing. Sure. <laughs> Thanks for having me on here. It's cool. <laughs> We are hosted on Transistor FM. They have been flawless to work with. Amazing community of other podcasts. Highly recommend them. Many of our episodes in this season are recorded at Congdon Yards in High Point, North Carolina. And this is a Human People Creative Production. And thanks to you for being a listener. And I hope it added something special to your day. been a human people production.